Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to be seated and to join me in prayer. God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we have a firm foundation. We have a cornerstone. And God, I pray this morning that Jesus Christ would be lifted up in this service. And as your word is preached, we pray that Christ would be glorified. God, the gospel, what you've done for us in Christ, it changes everything. And I pray, Father, that we would see today more clearly the implications of believing in and confessing that Christ is Lord. And I pray that you would use your word this morning to do your work on this day. God, on this July 4th, on this Independence Day, we thank you for so many things that we enjoy and that we experience and have so many privileges. We give you praise, God. First and foremost, we thank you for our religious liberty. We thank you that we're able to worship according to the dictates of our conscience. And I pray, Father, that this will continue to be the case and will be the case for all people throughout this nation. We thank you for this privilege that we're able to gather this morning without the fear of harm or harassment. And we give you praise for our religious liberty. And God, we also praise you for our economic prosperity. God, in comparison to so many places, you have blessed us and we are so grateful. And I pray, Father, and we together pray in light of that reality, knowing the dangers. God, protect us from loving money. Protect us from the love of money because we know that it is a root of all kinds of evil. And we pray also that you would direct us to love the poor. Help us to care about people in need. Help us to love them. Help us to serve them. Help us to empty ourselves for their sake, just as Christ has emptied himself and became obedient for our sake. And Father, we thank you also as we think about this day for the constitutional democracy that we have as a people. Thank you for law and order and with that the right to vote. We thank you, God, for the inalienable rights that we have, the rights to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And God, we know this morning as your people that the pursuit of happiness really is the pursuit of Christ. And so help us as your church and as your people to pursue Jesus Christ. As Paul said, help us to forget the things that are behind us and to press on to know Christ. So Father, we give you thanks. We want to pursue Christ. We want to pursue the things that are above and the things that are ahead for us as your people. So help us to lift our eyes. And I pray that you would make us by your spirit like the early church about which Hebrews tells us that they desired a better country, a heavenly one. God, thank you for your promises and for this hope that we have. And may our appreciation and our love for this country never rival or even come close to our love for you and the heavenly country that is ahead of us. God, make us world Christians instead of worldly Christians. Protect us from being worldly 
by loving the world and the things in the world. And God, we remember that your word says that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, give us your heart for the peoples of the world and particularly for the peoples who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and who are unreached. Help us to love the world and to not love the world as we should. To love the peoples but not the things of the world. And God, in these next moments as we hear your word, by your spirit, make these things true in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible, and uh, for those who may be here for the first time, we are making our way through a section of the Psalms this summer. We've been doing that now for several summers. I think this is the fourth summer that we go back to the Psalms, and so we've still got a long way to go. If we're going to make it through 150 Psalms, I think we've made it through about 60 or will by the end of this summer. And uh, we began this series a few Psalms before this. And we come today to Psalm 61. I want to call the message today, The Rock That Is Higher Than I. It's on page 478 in the blue Bibles that are underneath the chairs. And so if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you and urge you to reach under the chair in front of you. Take a blue Bible, turn to page 478 so that you can follow us in Psalm 61. During the early years of my ministry here at South Canyon Baptist Church, there was tension, accusation, and division. And often during those years, there were times when I felt like God was far away and it felt like my heart was fainting, that my heart was overwhelmed and sinking inside of me. And the thing that kept me going and kept me from giving in to despair and to anger was crying out to God in prayer, often in the dark before the dawn. And today we see David and his despair, his sense that God was far from him as we come to Psalm 61. Christian, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever feel like God is far from you and that your heart is faint within you? If so, take heart. David did also. And we're going to see that in this psalm. So follow along as we read through this psalm before we launch into the message Psalm 61, to the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. 
You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer of David. And it was a prayer that David offered to God at a time when God seemed distant and when he felt discouraged. Again, I'm certain there are people here this morning who feel that maybe at this very moment. You feel like God is distant. God seems distant to you and you feel discouraged. So what should you do? What should you do if you feel that way? Here's the answer. Based on what David does in Psalm 61, the first thing you should do is express what you feel and need. Express what you feel and need, like David did. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Notice, first of all, in these verses that David expresses what he needs. And so when you find yourself in a similar circumstance to David's circumstance at least in terms of your heart, maybe not physically. David was a fugitive. He was fleeing for his life when he wrote this psalm, as we've seen in several of the psalms leading up to Psalm 61. So your circumstances may not be exactly like his, but your heart may be similar to the heart that David felt and the way he felt in his heart during this time. Express what you need like David did. And notice the first thing he says he needs. He needs for God to hear his prayer. He needs for God to hear his prayer, and so he cries out to God for this. Look at verse 1 as it begins. Hear my prayer, or my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. Notice the word cry that's used here at the very beginning of this psalm. This is the word that David chose to use for what he was feeling and his prayer at this particular time. Hear my cry. Hear my cry, O God. I think this illustrates and demonstrates that at this point and at this particular time, David was praying passionately to God. And the best word to capture his passion was that his prayer was a cry, that he was crying out to God. Passion in prayer. I want you to think about your prayer life. Does passion characterize your prayer life? Now, it may not be the, it may not always be the same kind of passion, but passion should be a part of our prayer life. And it's so easy for some of us who've been in church for most of our lives to sort of slip into kind of a rote and a stale and a lifeless and a passionless 
prayer life. So easy to do that. One of the things I think is true based on what we read here and in other places in the Bible is this. Authentic prayer isn't stoic. Authentic prayer isn't stoic. Somehow Christians have come at times to believe that to be a Christian means that you, that you, that you crush or that you cover your emotions. That you pretend like you have no emotions, that nothing bothers you. If that's the way we were supposed to live, then there are a whole lot of psalms, as a matter of fact, most of them that ought to just be torn out of our Bibles, right? Because they express in an unedited way, like we've talked about before, the emotions, the passions of those who wrote these psalms. And they were written for those later to sing them who felt those same passions and those same emotions. Authentic prayer isn't stoic. So the first thing he needs is for God to hear his prayer, to hear his cry, to listen to his prayer. And then in prayer, specifically, he says what he needs. He needs for God to lead him to the rock that is higher than he is. Look at the end of verse 2 where we see that. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's what he needs in the circumstance that he finds himself in. Literally, it says, lead or bring me to the rock that is higher than I. One pastor said this about this high rock. It is the place of protection. It is the place of perspective. And as a result of those two, it is the place of peace. Maybe you and I feel this same need this morning. Do you feel the need for God's protection Do you sense the need for God's perspective on the things that are happening in your life? And do you sense the need for peace? Because at this point, your heart is not at peace because of your circumstances. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The place of protection. In order to come to the place of protection, we must seek and follow God's direction. That's why he says, bring me, God, lead me to this place, this rock that is higher than I am. Melody's dad, my wife's dad, uh, was a pastor and served in vocational pastoral ministry until he retired a few years ago. One of the stories I've heard him tell is the story, I think I've heard him tell it, I've heard it so much, I, I don't remember if I heard it firsthand or not, but I remember this story. He was flying out of Indianapolis one morning, and there was a terrible storm. Thunder, lightning, rain. It was a mess. And they, they took off, and they flew, and finally they continued to rise higher and higher and higher until they broke through the clouds and got above the clouds. And all of a sudden, the sky was perfectly blue, and the sun was beautiful, and the pilot came on. And he said, folks, it's a beautiful day in Indianapolis We were just living too low earlier. We were just living too low earlier. That's what David was experiencing in this circumstance. Things were stormy. It was gray and it was gloomy for David. And he was living spiritually 
Emotionally, he was living too low. And that's why he says here at the end of verse 2, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Think about the heights of joy that God can lead us to even in our horrible circumstances. Think of the heights of peace that God can bring us to in the midst of our circumstances. Living too low. Living too low. Christ in the New Testament is referred to as a rock. He is this rock of salvation. He is the way that we can be saved from the rising floods of condemnation and death that we deserve because of our sins. Jesus is this stone that is above us for our safety and below us for our stability. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation the stone of our salvation, the stone of our foundation. Jesus is our rock. When I was growing up, I remember singing this hymn, My heart has no desire to stay, where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. Lord, lift me up and help me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane that I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's what David was desiring. He wanted spiritually and emotionally for God to lift him to higher ground. To lift him up. So express what you need like David did. When God feels distant and when you feel despair, express your need like David did. And then express what you feel, not just what you need, but what you feel like David did. And we see this as we come to the beginning of 2. In verses 1 and 2, he goes back and forth between what he needs and what he feels. And that's a good way to begin your prayers, right? Talk to God about what you need. Talk to God about what you feel. Talk to God about what you need again. That's what David does here. So what does David feel according to the beginning of verse 2? He feels like he's in exile. He feels like he's in exile. And we don't know the exact circumstance in David's life that was taking place when he wrote this psalm. Was it as the psalms we've looked at before? Before he was king, when King Saul was trying to kill him and had sent men after him, and so he had been a fugitive and he had been fleeing Maybe. Or was it after he was king and his son Absalom had rebelled against him and he fled for his life from his son? We don't know for certain, but we know this. David felt far from home. That's what the beginning of verse 2 means. From the end or the ends of the earth, I call to you. He felt far from home, and he literally was far from Jerusalem, far from that place and the people that were so familiar to him and that he loved in that place. He felt distant from God, 
And he felt discouraged. His heart was fainting within him. That means his heart was sinking. His heart was overwhelmed by his circumstances. Express what you feel. Express what you feel as well as what you need. Emotionally and spiritually, David felt like he was at the ends of the earth. He felt far from his home, his people, and God's presence, and he was faint in his heart. And again, I hope this encourages you because this is a part of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. There are times and seasons in our lives when we experience what some have called the dark night of the soul. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you may not have heard that phrase, but you know that you've been there. And that's what David was experiencing. I read something from a pastor recently that said this, When life is going smoothly and our truest heart treasures seem safe, it doesn't occur to us to pray. That's generally true, isn't it? When life is going smoothly and when our truest heart treasures seem safe in this world, it doesn't occur to us to pray. And one of the reasons God in His providence and His kindness to us, His people, allows us to experience times like this is that so we will call to Him. So that we will pray. So that it will occur to us to pray. And sometimes we don't pray like we should with the kind of consistency and with the kind of fervor that we should until we find ourselves in a situation where things aren't going smoothly and the things that we care about in this world most are in danger. We're in danger of losing them. When God seems distant, express what you feel and what you need like David did. The second thing that we learn from this psalm, in addition to the fact that we should express what we need and feel like David did, the second thing we see is this in verses 3 through 7. We should confess, you should confess what you know and seek like David did. Confess what you know and seek, what you also seek like David did did. Look at verses 3 and 5. Verse 3 says this, For you, God, have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And then drop down to 5, For you, O God, have been my heritage, or a heritage, and given me a heritage among those who fear your name. In verse 3 and in verse 5, David is confessing what he knows. You have been, David knows this by experience from his past, you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. And so as he prays, he confesses this. He confesses that in the past God has been faithful, that God has answered his prayers, that God has strengthened him in times like these. And you and I need to do the same thing when we're in a situation like this. We need to confess what we know by experience. We need to look back and remember 
and rehearse the faithfulness of God to us and for us in the past. That's what David is doing here. Trust. You can trust in God based on your history if you're a follower of Jesus because Jesus in the past has been faithful to you. But in verse 5, he says this, he knows also that God has given him an heritage or inheritance among those who fear God's name. That's another way to say those who believe, those who are God's people. Because God's people are those who fear his name. They worship his name. The thing that they dread more than anything else is to displease their good and great God. That's what it means to be one of God's people. And he knew God had given him a heritage or an inheritance among those who were God's people. He knew this by promise. He knew this by promise. He knew the first thing that he knew by the past, and he knew this by the promise that God had given, that one day he would inherit, along with all of God's people, all of the blessings that God has promised through his covenant. And that's what David is remembering here. So David's looking back, but he's also looking ahead, right? He's looking back to the past. He's looking ahead to the promise. And he's reminding himself what he knows. And that's what we need to do when we become discouraged and God seems distant to us. Remember. Remember what we know by experience. Remember what we know by promise. Based on our history and based on our hope, we can encourage ourselves as we pray to our Father. So confess what you know like David did. And then, I want you to see this also in verse 4 and then in verses 6 and 7. Confess what you seek like David did. What are you seeking when you pray in these circumstances? What should we seek? That's what David expresses. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Three different ways to refer to prayer or to illustrate prayer. It's asking, it's seeking, it's knocking. And David confesses here what he is seeking. Look at verse 4. Here's what he's seeking. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. That's what he's seeking. And that's what a believer seeks in times of despair. What does he mean, let me dwell in your tent forever? He's talking about the tabernacle. In Jerusalem, most specifically, but that represented something. It represented God's presence. And the book of Hebrews that we've just finished as a congregation makes it clear that the tabernacle was just a picture on earth of God's throne room in heaven, particularly the Holy of Holies. And so what he's really saying here is, I want to be in your presence. I want to be in the place where your presence is real to me and manifest to me. And that's what he's meaning when he says, let me dwell in your tent forever. He desires to be in God's presence forever. And that's what we want as the people of God. We want his presence now and we want his presence forever. And then let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Under the shelter of your wings. Now, get this image here that David is desiring. David is thinking about a mother hen. 
who takes her wings and gathers her chicks under her wings to protect them from danger. That's what he's talking about here. Now think about how that works. If a mother hen sees danger, whatever that danger may be, and a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, how does she shelter those chicks with her wings? And what does that mean? Whatever was a danger for them, she endures as the shelter. She shields them. Her wings are wounded, possibly, as she seeks to protect her chicks. And that's what David is longing for. I hope this sounds familiar to some of you. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 13, 34. Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus is claiming to do and desire to do for Jerusalem what David is asking God to do for him. Because Jesus was God in human form. And so he can do what David is longing for God to do in this Psalm. The mother bird endures danger and pain to protect her chicks. And that's a picture of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, through his wounds that he endured on the cross. I love these words. I'm quoting a lot of songs this morning. I have a shelter in the storm. When all my sins accuse me, Though justice charges me with guilt, your grace will not refuse me. O Jesus, I will hide in you who bore my condemnation. I find my refuge in your wounds, for there I find salvation. Folks, this is the gospel. Jesus on the cross was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon his head, and by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed when we trust. Don't be like Jerusalem, people. Jesus said, I would have gathered you, but you would not. If you're here this morning and you're not certain about your relationship with Christ, come. Come to Christ and let him shelter you through his sacrifice, and cover you and save you. Having suffered for you, trust in Christ. Flee to him. Flee to him. And then notice in verses 6 and 7 another thing that he was seeking. He wanted to dwell in God's tent forever. Verse 4 says he wanted a refuge under the shelter of God's wings. But in verses 6 and 7, he is seeking something else. And folks, here we're, we're coming face to face, face with a lot of mystery. And I want you to see this. This is amazing. Verses 6 and 7. David says, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. 
What's he saying here? Is he saying that he wants to live forever and be enthroned before God forever? I don't think so. Is he saying that he wants himself or his dynasty, his, depend, his uh, descendants, to live forever and to reign on God's throne forever? Well, I think yes and no. I think no in one sense because none of his descendants apart from Jesus, are going to live forever before God. And that's the amazing thing here. Jesus was a descendant of David. Jesus was the one who came and was the son of David, he's called in the New Testament, the descendant of David. But he's not only David's son, he's also David's Lord. And we know this from another psalm by David, Psalm 110, which, by the way, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament that begins like this. The Lord, Yahweh, David says, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In the New Testament, that passage is applied to Jesus because Jesus is the one who's going to be the answer to this prayer that David prays. Jesus is the one who is enthroned forever, seated forever, literally, before God. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. You see, Jesus was David's son, but Jesus was David's Lord also, the anointed one. And being a Christian means that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. He's the mother hen, but he's also the enthroned one. He's the one who shelters you and saves you. He's also the one who commands you and leads you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But what's amazing here is we get in on this. This kingdom and this king that will endure forever, we can be a part of through trusting in Christ as our Savior and following him as our Lord. We can get in on this. Ephesians 2.6 says this about God, that he raised us up with him, meaning Jesus, and seated us with him, There's that word seated that's used here. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we reign with Christ and will reign with Christ because we are united to him through faith. So the king, Jesus, is enthroned forever, will always rule, will always reign, and we will reign with him forever as those who trust in him as our Lord and Savior. And then finally in verse 8, notice how this psalm ends. So, which means because of all this, so will I ever sing praises to your name. Notice how the psalm begins and how it ends. He's crying in prayer, and now he's talking about, I'm going to sing every day of my life. So I will or will I sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day to day. Let me leave you with some application if you're a believer. Hopefully there's already been some, but let me give you some more. Sing and sacrifice. That's how we ought to live our lives every day as followers of Jesus Christ. 
I will sing your praises or I will ever sing praises to your name. That's what we ought to do as God's people because of what he's done for us in Christ. Sing. And I will perform my vows day after day. This probably refers to vows he made when God delivered him to bring animals and to bring them as a sacrifice, as an offering to God. So how do we do that? I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or your reasonable service of worship. This is what it means to understand who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and to live it out. We sing and we sacrifice every day. We sing praise to him, we sacrifice ourselves to do his will and to glorify him. I learned something years ago and I think it's hinted at here at the end of this psalm and I want to finish with this. Delight leads to doing our duty and doing our duty leads to delight as the people of God. When we delight in the Lord, we are motivated to do our duty, to do what we vowed to do, what we've committed to do, the promises we make as followers of Jesus. Delight leads to doing our duty. And sometimes we have to get at delight the other way. We have to get at delight a different way. Doing our duty leads to delight. Sometimes we don't feel like doing what we vowed and what we've promised and what it means and we've committed to do as followers of Jesus Christ, but we do it and we pray as we do it that God would give us joy in doing his will and he does. He does. So these two are never really separated in the Bible, delight and duty, duty and delight. And we see that here at the end of this psalm. And I love these words, and I'll finish with this. Surely, God's sweet and wondrous love will continue all my days. And as it never shall cease, so neither shall my praise. That's what David is saying at the end of this psalm. And that's what our desire is as those who trust in Jesus Christ. Let's bow and let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm and thank you for the raw nature of this psalm that David penned. Help us, help us to cry out to you, to passionately pray. And I pray that as we do that, that we would sense your presence, that we would sense your sheltering of us and ultimately give thanks for this way you've sheltered us from the wrath that we deserve because of our sins. God, help us to sing and help us to sacrifice. God, I pray that this church would be filled with singing and sacrificing saints because if we live that way, people will be drawn to Jesus and that's what we desire. God, we give you praise. Jesus, you are better than anything and everything that this world can offer. And so we praise you and worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.